<laughs> you can kind of feel that, huh? Yeah, life, um, life seems to have gotten much bigger and louder and busier and more hectic, and we're going to be in a, kind of a conversation for the next four weeks. Um, so you guys must think the shirts are cool because about 90 of you have asked if you can get one. And um, we hadn't really anticipated doing that, but if you'll wear them, we'll buy them. Um, we will literally do them at our cost. These cost us about 20 bucks a piece. And if after service, you want to stop by the connection kiosk, uh, tell Leota your name, your shirt size, and I will tell you, size up one. Okay, so if you wear a large, get an extra large, you wear a small, get a medium, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll even try to maybe rush the order and get them here by next week, and you can pick them up and... And uh, throw them on. We'll all be wearing them. We'll take a big selfie or something like that. All right. So um, I have been really excited about this uh, series for a long, long time. Uh, weirdly and strangely and inconveniently, I decided to start it on Labor Day weekend when a lot of people are gone and cramming in another three-day weekend and a vacation and things like that. Hopefully the sweltering heat maybe kept some people in town. Um, but this really is about uh, the value of this day. Today is Sunday, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, and uh, we know that because it's the end of the week. Well, I mean, technically, it's the beginning of the week, but we don't really treat it that way because it comes at the end of our work week, and this is the day before we go back into our work week and our school week. And so we really do treat it as the last day of the week, the seventh day, not the first day. And this is the day that we have for a long, long hundreds and hundreds of years used today as the Christian Sabbath. But that is not really when the Christian Sabbath is. The Christian Sabbath is on Saturday. Biblically, it is. So how did we go from Saturday to Sunday? And is there a real big problem with that? So I'll give you just a little bit of um, useless church knowledge, okay? So in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea, the Roman emperor and the Catholic church determined that Sunday would now be the new Sabbath day. It would no longer be Saturday, it would be Sunday. And the reality of that was that the Roman Catholic Church was working to distance themselves from Jewish tradition. It was really what many have categorized as an anti-Semitic movement within the Catholic Church to distance themselves from anything that resembled a Jewish tradition. And that's because they saw the Jews as the enemies of Christ because they were responsible for crucifying them. And it really is a, uh, uh, just that simple. They decided that Sunday would now be uh, the day of rest, the new Christian Sabbath. As a matter of fact, in 365 AD at the Council of Laodicea, the Catholic Church made it illegal to rest and not work on Saturday. You could not rest on Saturday. You must treat it as any other work day. And you may not know that work days used to be seven days a week. And that um, 
uh, that w- w- anyway, I-, I won't get into a lot more history, but uh, work days were, were continual, except for, of course, Christians who were mandated to take a rest. The Catholic Church decided that Christians were not allowed to rest on Saturday, therefore forcing you to use Sunday as the Sabbath. So you say, wow, that seems kind of lame. Should we still be doing that? And the answer is this. Um, I don't know that it particularly matters at this point. Um, I do know this, that it's not the first time that we've done something and overreached biblical boundaries and kind of messed things up, Um, but I always believe in redeeming mistakes. So we are here on Sunday. Uh, we weren't around for all of those changes in the, uh, the first few centuries, but you may not remember this because they've started to go uh, the way of the dodo bird, but there were laws until very recently that actually protected and preserved Sundays. Some of you are old enough to remember when you could not buy alcohol on Sundays, really anywhere. I mean, not that you should be drinking, but uh, in case you had heard stories from neighbors and friends. Um, And uh, you could not really go shopping at JCPenney or Nordstrom's or go in and buy furniture. You were not, according to the law, allowed to sell cars on Sundays. If you were a soccer coach, when I was growing up, and you had the audacity to try and schedule a practice or a game on a Sunday, they would have run you out of town and burnt your house to the ground. (laughs) Maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but not too much. Because there was a culture in which Christians led our society, led our kids, led our neighbors, led the secular world in preserving Sundays for God, for family, and for restoration of our spirit, our mind, our body, for rest and (laughs) enjoyment. There was a time when culturally no one would have thought of trying to open a bar on a Sunday. I mean, The idea that Chick-fil-A is closed now on Sundays is the exception to the rule. It's a rare exception to the rule. It's not the rule, right? We, we drive and we get excited. And I used to, for whatever reason, I couldn't tell you hate Chick-fil-A. Hated when my family suggests we go to Chick-fil-A. I am now in love with Chick-fil-A. It is definitely Christian crack. I love the spicy chicken sandwich. I love the, uh, the chicken noodle soup. And I will, at any given chance, go to Chick-fil-A. Uh, Now, Carson, our youngest son, works at Chick-fil-A and has not once gotten me a discount. And that is not how I saw that working out. But there have been Sundays when I thought, well, let's just, let's just, let's try something. Let's go to Chick-fil-A and darn them in their Christian values being closed on Sundays. 
So how did we get though from where for centuries there was a preservation led by the Christian community? So the question is this, did, did, did unbelievers, did secularists, did atheists, did, the, did humanists come in and, 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 and think Christians have held the Sabbath, the Sunday hostage for, for all these years? We're going to take it back. Did they file lawsuits to make sure that they could open their stores and open their car dealerships and serve alcohol on Sundays? None of those were the reason why Sundays became like every other day. Why parks are now full of soccer games and softball games and tournaments are scheduled on Sunday as much as they are any other day because, of course, Monday through Friday, just simply too busy with work and everything else everybody's got going on. And Saturdays, you can only fit so many in there, so you've got to move to Sundays as well. And where it is rare to find any business that isn't open on Sunday, where you find people going on the work schedule as readily and easily where we have just succumbed to the patterns of the world around us. So is it the world that took the Sabbath away from us? I would suggest it's not. I would say that somewhere along the way, Christians, followers of Christ, started quietly agreeing with their bosses that it was more important to bring that extra day of income and not turn down that schedule where we don't want to tell our kids, no, you can't be on team because they practice and play on Sundays. Where we don't want to turn down friends and neighbors and family members who schedule events and get-togethers and gatherings and barbecues at their home. And we don't want to be the only ones not there. And so quietly, we began to give up the space and negotiate Sundays as if they were any other day of the week. And being followers of Christ, we sort of made this half-hearted commitment that as long as we weren't scheduled for work and as long as we didn't have a commitment, as long as all the projects were done around the house and as long as we had the availability and the time, we would squeeze in to our already busy, hectic, crazy schedules, we'll give God an hour. And then we'll just go back into the pattern of making sure the kids are doing their homework and doing all the things that we didn't get done earlier in the week and getting ourselves ready for Monday because the craziness of the next week is going to start. And then Sundays just aren't a big deal anymore. Sundays just aren't a big deal. It's Almost impossible to tell the difference between our Saturdays and our Fridays, our Thursdays and our Sundays. Not because those who don't follow Christ have taken that from us and forced their secular culture, but because we as followers of Christ have just decided, like back in 325, where they just decided that Saturdays are no longer the Sabbath, even though the Bible says so, we're going to do it on Sundays. Think how arbitrary, how arrogant of you to just take that away because of your own selfish gain and weirdness of wanting to separate yourself from Jewish culture. What a dumb reason to dishonor the Sabbath. As ridiculous as that is, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, how different is it that we're doing the same exact thing where we have completely robbed any day of its value and its worth. So I want to suggest something, that Sundays are a big deal. 
They're like a really big deal. And I want to tell you three ways that you'll be able to establish that in your own walk and in your own life. Because as much as I think it's important that we agree with me in this word here and now, it's more important that we do it. The Bible says don't be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Because it is easy in this moment to feel caught up in this truth and say, I agree with that. I agree with that. And it's quite a different thing to change our lives to demonstrate that this is a non-negotiable in our life. Let me read this passage out of Mark 2, 23 through 28. Another time on a Sabbath day, as Jesus and his disciples were walking through the fields, the disciples were breaking off heads of wheat and they were eating the grain. Some of the Jewish leaders, a religious leaders, said to Jesus, they, they shouldn't be doing that. It's against our laws to work by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus, also being Jewish, all of his disciples also being Jewish, were being told what the Jewish laws were. But Jesus replied, didn't you ever hear about the King David? So this is pretty amazing because King David is like the hero of Judaism. He's like Elvis of Judaism. He's like it of Judaism. He's the Jesus of Judaism. Jesus is to Christianity what David was to Judaism. Didn't you ever hear about the time that King David, huh? You guys know King David and his companions were hungry and he went into the house of God. He went into a tabernacle. Uh, Abiathar was the high priest then. He said he was there. He was present when this happened. And they ate the special bread, also called, in translation, you see it's called the shoe bread, S-H-E-W, and uh, I, I like special better. Special bread that only priests were allowed to eat. This was sacrificial. This was meant to be used in the ceremony of worshiping God. That was against the law too. But the Sabbath was made to benefit man and not man to benefit the Sabbath. And I, this is the craziest thing that Jesus could have said. I, the Messiah, I, the fulfillment of prophecy, I am the savior of the world. I am who all uh, the prophets referred to. I, the Messiah, have authority even to decide what men can do on Sabbath days. This is insane that Jesus would say this to religious leaders. He knows that he's accelerating his crucifixion by saying this, but he's wanting to make sure that they understood that they were using the Sabbath to bully people and control people, to shame people. And Jesus said that the Sabbath is there for liberation. The Sabbath is there to set us free. The Sabbath is there to benefit us, us not benefit the Sabbath. His own disciples were feeding their stomachs because they were hungry. And they had the audacity to say, you are not allowed to eat because in order to eat, you have to harvest grain and put it into your mouth. And that's against the law. And Jesus said, man, if the law prevents us from actually being fed on the Sabbath, what kind of law is that? David, our hero, he did the same exact thing, went and took bread that he was not allowed to according to the law. And that's because God will never make a law that doesn't benefit us first and always. God never makes a law that isn't intended to benefit us. 
Grab your notes if you don't even have them out or open up your Summit Church app. I get what a big deal Sundays are when I start, number one, getting serious about taking them seriously. Genesis 2, 2 through 3 says this. On the seventh day, with the canvas of the cosmos completed, God paused from his labor and rested. Thus, God blessed day seven and he made it special. An open time for pause and restoration. A sacred zone of Sabbath keeping because God rested from all the work he had done in creation that day. So the house I grew up in, in St. Louis, my parents have since moved from that house and I never lived in the one that they're in now. Um, But for decades, we lived in this house on um, a street called Beehive Court in Tree Estates in Oakville, Missouri. And um, that house I grew up in had uh, three bedrooms upstairs. It had three bathrooms. It had a kitchen, a family room, a living room, and a basement. And it was just me and my brother. Uh, my parents lived there as well. And um, And uh, we were allowed to go anywhere we wanted and play anywhere we wanted and do anything we wanted, kind of anywhere in the whole house, with the exception of one room. And that was the formal living room as soon as you walked in the house. And in that room uh, was furniture too expensive and too nice to sit on. (laughs) Right? And um, it showed things that we were never allowed to do anything but look at. We must never touch. And we could not play in there because playing in there would result to bumping or hitting or knocking something over or breaking something. And so it was understood from the days of old that we would not go onto these uh, couches that were just simply too nice for us to get our dirty, smudgy hands on. Or to dare set a drink on the coffee table that was there to set drinks on, but not that one because it had polished wood and beveled glass. And me and my brother would probably have just smashed the glass out. And in this room was a curio, a beautiful lit cabinet with mirror backing and and, and these, these beveled glass panels that were in this hardwood polished uh, wood frame and on in every uh, shelf, glass shelf, was some piece of china or some um, gold etched dish or some other thing that didn't look to me like it had any value, but clearly it was valuable enough to be locked away in this curio to be lit up and looked at and never touched and never used, only to be admired. So not only did I know not to go into that room uh, or to go in with great reverence, really, to walk slowly as to not touch anything, to never leave a fingerprint or a smudge, to never bring my toys in there or wrestle with my brother in there. I also knew to make sure that I enforced the unspoken and invisible boundaries And barriers that protected that room, our neighbors who lived next to us for all that time and became my parents' uh, best friends and still to this day are, 
uh, they were there and they had at that time a, uh, their young daughter, their youngest daughter, Molly, she was a toddler at the time, maybe a little bit older, and she was running around the house as my parents and her parents talked, and I was kind of in charge of keeping Molly entertained and occupied, and Molly ran up to the front room, and I said loud enough that my parents could hear, apparently, and her parents could hear, no, 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 you can't go in there, that's the valuable room. And to this day, my parents still call it the valuable room. <laughs> now, I want you to imagine that the week, the days of the week represent rooms. Seven rooms in this space that God's created for us. And each one of those rooms has its own purpose and its own value. And you can practically do anything within six of those rooms, but one room has been assigned and created for a special purpose to within that space, it is reserved and preserved for something valuable. And even if you and I don't understand the value of it, we just trust as I understood that that room had value and expense beyond my ability to comprehend that as a child, I didn't understand its value and its worth. I didn't understand the meaning of any of that. I didn't understand how quickly those things could be defiled and defaced or broken and not replaced. So I just took my parents' instruction that this room has value and it should be treated differently. So don't play, don't roughhouse, don't throw things, don't run around, don't set water cups on top of the hardwood. Don't do any of that because this room has, in the other six rooms, enjoy, this room has special value. And the Sabbath, the Sundays that God has given us are full of value that we possibly don't understand. But can I tell you that God says they're valuable and because he says they're valuable, they just are. And he even takes away our subjective ability to decide that they're not. He makes it a commandment in Exodus 20 verse 8. He says this, you and your family are to remember the Sabbath day and set it apart and keep it holy. And holy means this, special, different, set apart, for sacred purposes. He says that's your job. Is to make that day. What it really is. To preserve that day. To protect that day. You have to make it a big deal. You are the ones who decide that it's a big deal. Because we have in our culture. Recently in years past. Maybe over the course of decades. We've decided it's really not that big of a deal. And I want to tell you this. The only way that culture begins to shift back to honoring the Sabbath. Is not for us to pass amendments and get laws back in place. And shut down bars. And get uh, the restaurants to service whenever. And do all the things that we want to do. To make the world comply with our Christian values. It's for Christians, followers of Christ. To actually start honoring that space and that place that God has given us. To honor him. Our family and our rest. That's what our job is. Not to lead the world in that, but to simply begin to set the culture in our own home first. That God comes first. If you want to know how important it is, all you have to do is look to Luke 4.16. It says this, Jesus traveled to Nazareth, the town where he grew up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as he always did. And he stood up to read scripture. 
Jesus himself, knowing that he had limited time on earth, knowing what his mission was, his life being far busier than ours, his life being full of more important things than you and I will ever do. Healing, teaching, saving humanity from sin. (laughs) Right? His days were jam-packed. He could have used an extra day of the week to get everything done. And it says that Jesus made sure that he was always in the synagogue, always there worshiping, always there in scripture. Jesus prioritized that day. Number two is this. I get what a big deal Sundays are when I start guarding them as fiercely as I'm supposed to. When I start guarding them as fiercely as I'm supposed to. So let me read a little bit more. I just read Exodus. Let me read a little bit more about what it says. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 to give you some more context. You and your family are to remember the Sabbath day. Set it apart and keep it holy. You just heard that part. You have six days. To do all your work, to do everything you want to do, to go to your soccer games, to do your family things. You have six days to do all of that stuff, but the seventh day is to be different from the other six. It's the Sabbath of the eternal, your God. It's a day of rest he created. Keep it holy, and here's how we preserve it and set it apart and dedicate it to the things that God wants us to by not doing any work. Not you, not your sons, not your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock or anything or any outsiders living among you. For the eternal has made, uh, made the heavens and the earth above, the earth, or the earth below, the seas and all the creatures in them in six days. Then on the seventh day, he rested. That is why he blessed the Sabbath day and made it sacred. Can I just tell you this, that God in his creation knew the span that it would take, and then purposely, intentionally built another space behind that so that it would not just be about creating more work and creating more opportunities and creating more influence and creating more busyness and creating and creating and doing and doing and doing, but there would be a time in which there would be reflection and connection And pausing and doing something sacred when we were really filled our whole week with doing things that were mundane and worldly and temporal, temporary. That there was something about this day that he said, I want you to know I did it. Because there's such an immense value in it. And and, and it's so valuable what I've created for you that I'm telling you, you have to fight to keep it this way. You have to let the influencers in your life know. The ones who may want to keep going. The ones who want to keep doing. The ones who want to keep working. The ones who want to keep playing and scheduling and and doing everything that gets done in those other six days. They're going to want to keep doing it on the seventh day. And you have to, at some point, just say, I can't. This is, this is my decree that we pause and we stop on this day. Because God is too important and you as my family are too important. And our rest and our restoration and our recovery from the abuse and the exhaustion and the tiredness and the stress and the worry that we experience the other six days. We have to have a space in which we go there. Listen to what it says. 
Actually, don't listen to what it says. Go on to the next point. We're going to move through this. <laughs> point number three is this. I get a big deal what Sundays are when I start number three. Receiving all that they are created to give. Receiving all that they're created to give. So listen to what um, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, which is the Colossian church. Okay, this is modern day Turkey, the southern part of modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. And this is what he's writing to this church that he planted uh, near some other churches like Ephesus that he planted. He said, God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. So your new life should be like this. It's different than the way you do, because he's speaking to both, uh, Colossae was a, a city that had a lot of Gentiles, but many Jews had moved into that as well, because they were pouring out of other places, uh, kind of a migration. So your new life should be like this, whether you were a Gentile and now a new convert to Christianity, or you've moved out of Judaism and you're a follower of Christ. So your new life should be like this. Show mercy to others. That's not what their old life was like. Be kind and humble and gentle and patient. Don't be angry with each other. Wouldn't that be great if we could use the Sabbath just to quiet the anger in our culture? We're such an angry, angry culture. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, then forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. Together with these things, the most important part of your new life, the most important part of your new life is to love each other. Love is what holds everything together in perfect unity. So let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking. It's for peace that you were chosen to be together in, what does it say? One body. And always be thankful. Let the teaching of Christ live inside you richly and use all wisdom to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Everything you say and everything you do should be done for Jesus your Lord. And in all you do, give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. And you go, PC, I got to be honest, I didn't see anywhere in there where it commands us. To do anything on the Sabbath. And uh, that's not really a gotcha statement. Here's why. Because Paul understood he was talking to the church. He already understood that they were gathering on the Sabbath. That was a no-brainer. Followers of Christ, even Jews, were commanded to gather and worship and give and sacrifice and forgive and do the right things on the Sabbath. It was a day in which you paused from your own life of selfish ambition and, and, and making plans and, and essentially excluding God and much of what we do and just reminding ourselves where everything good comes from. But not only that, but to exchange the economy of church, of gathering, of the Sabbath, which is all of the characteristics of Christ, mercy and compassion and kindness and forgiveness and tenderness and, and, and sacrifice for each other and peace over our minds and pulling back our anger from each other. And he says, you must be in your, the presence of each other in order to exchange that, in order to spend that economy. It's, it's, it's cash. 
I, I wish there was a way, because sometimes I want to pay for things. I'm an envelope guy, right? Kind of do the Dave Ramsey envelope thing. And I like paying for things in cash. And then when you run out of cash, you don't spend anymore. It's a pretty awesome philosophy of how to manage your finances. And uh, so I wish there was a way that I could like set it on a scanner or a printer and tell, here's, here's my cash and pay for it digitally that way. But to use cash, you have to be in their presence and you have to hand it to them, right? We can't phone in church. We can't phone in this community. You have to be in each other's lives. That's the, that's the mandate right there that Paul gives his church as he says, this is what you give and receive. This is the benefit of being in each other's presence is that you're not only giving mercy and tenderness and compassion and kindness and ha having people uh, around you that are craving that you're a generous giver of that, but you are a receiver of that. You are one who needs that. You are one who welcomes that and invites that just through your struggles and the pain and the frustration of your own life and the circumstances that you go through warrant that you need that responsiveness from your community. And he says that God has created a day for us. He set it aside for us. So that if anything else, you have something that you get from that. Listen to what it says in Mark 3, 1 through 5. And this is what we'll end on. Jesus went into the synagogue again. Again, he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. This is how twisted we become. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand here in front of everybody. Another translation says, in the middle of everybody. So I imagine this crowded place like this and Jesus has someone stand up right here where everyone can see. And then he turns to the critics and he asks, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Uh, is it a day to save a life or a day to destroy life? But wisely they didn't answer him he looked around at them angrily and he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts then he said to the man hold out your hand and so the man held out his hand and it was restored most other translations said it was healed the absurdity of where the Sabbath had gone that it was used to batter people and clobber people over the head and that it literally restricted people from receiving food to feed their stomach compassion and mercy but healing where there was brokenness this man stood there he himself was in the synagogue there to worship and be taught the scriptures And he put himself in the presence of the one who could heal him. And the critics stood by and wanted to make sure Jesus did nothing that gave that man back what was broken, what was taken, what was wounded, what needed healing and restoration because they had forgotten what the Sabbath was created for. Sundays aren't supposed to be something you dread. 
not supposed to be something that you avoid, something that you squeeze in, something that you schedule amongst all the other very important things in your very busy, important lives. The Sabbath is this amazing regenerative gift that keeps happening every single week. And maybe because of its frequency and maybe because it's so available and maybe because it's so common and maybe because it just ends with the word day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it just doesn't feel like it's any different than any other day. And maybe we have grown contemptuous and forgotten that not only does God say it's a big deal, Maybe we've also forgotten that it's not for him to force us to honor the Sabbath, but rather for us to own the importance of it and protect it in our own minds and in our own hearts, where anything that comes in that says, I want that day, we say that day's not negotiable, that day's not available, that day's not for this. This day is for something sacred. It's not just so that I can worship with other believers. It's not just so that I can receive from other believers and give to other believers. It's not even just so that I can be with my family and have a time of rest. It is literally where Jesus focuses his healing to fix what's broken in you, to restore what's been lost in you, to give What's been taken from you? I haven't had the misfortune of my children refusing gifts from me. But I think it would be indescribably heartbreaking to create something for them, to build something, to make something with them in mind and tell them, you don't even understand how special this is. And it's for you. And the things that you will get from it, it will bring life to you. And you'll find healing when you're hurting. You'll find peace when your heart and your mind are in a place of chaos. You'll find forgiveness there. You'll find connection with me. When I feel distant from you, you'll find connection with me. Not only would it break my heart if they refused it, but if they ignored it and desecrated it and showed contempt and treated it as if it were as common as anything they could pick up in the dollar bin at Target or find it a garage sale, it just doesn't matter. It gets treated like everything else that's disposable and discardable. I'd be brokenhearted because it would be in part a rejection of me. But more importantly, because I love them as my sons, it would be mostly the grief would come to how much they have given up. All the good things that were meant for them that this would have continued to create in their life that that's now gone. And I want to tell you that that is what a Sunday is. 
That is what God's heart for the Sabbath is. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to close with a prayer over you and a prayer for you. Christ Jesus, you were, you were the Sabbath in flesh. To know you and to know who you are and know how you represent the tenderness of God's heart. His earnestness to save us from consequence of our own bad choices. To restore to us that which the enemy has bullied out of us and taken from us and deceived away from us. All of the good that you did when you walked and you spoke and you helped us understand God in a way we never could before and you touched people and you healed with their hands and raised people from the dead and you restored life back to those who believed it was over and the lame walked and the leper's skin was made whole and everywhere you want you spoke peace into the hearts and minds of all who would listen and receive. You are the Sabbath. We have access to you. We have a gift, a day set aside for us, for everything that matters to you and should matter to us connection and relationship with our creator, connection and relationship with the family and the people you've blessed us to have in our lives. And for restoration physically, emotionally, spiritually, for us to just enjoy ourselves, to have fun without guilt and without the pressure of a schedule and just to reinvest in enjoying the life you've created for us. I pray that we start taking that very, very seriously. That we guard it fiercely because we fully, truly begin to appreciate what we receive from it. And that's my prayer as we continue this conversation for the next three weeks, that our hearts and our minds would be fully bought in to your idea of Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.